Hello, and welcome back to Idiot's Alphabet Soup. Take four. Take four, it's us, we're the idiots, which is evident by the fact that it has taken us so many tries to get this intro <laughs> right. Which, like, happens to us quite frequently now that I think about it. Whenever we record with a guest, we, like, we have it down yeah. pat, but when it's just the two of us, it is chaos. You know what? It's, like, it's particularly awful if it's not a book-specific episode, if it's just a, we're talking about something maybe (laughs) so today the like talking about something maybe is about book quotes um so yeah we'll get into that later but first of all yeah how about a little life update they haven't seen from us they haven't heard from us in a hot minute when it comes to our lives that's obviously our listeners are so invested in our personal lives obviously okay so like the last episode, it was with May Kuyuto. Love that girl. Like, anytime you're in DC, girl, hit me up. But Honestly, like, May, like, let's hang out. <laughs> Honestly, May, like, let's go to church together. Anyway. Let's get boba together. <laughs> yes. Let's get adobo together. Yes. Or Jollibee. Ooh, let's get Jollibee, May. I know. Oh, my gosh. Like, go to the last episode if you don't understand that, because that's really good. Um... But, like, the last episode was Make Kyoto, and then two episodes before that, it was Didi. Love we Didi. Did, we did have a little life update on Didi's episode, but it was it was a quick one. Oh, right. Because, like, we can't be talking about our life updates when somebody's, like, waiting on us. Yeah. Like, Didi was waiting. She needed, she needed to speak her truth. It's a meme, not a metaphor. <laughs> it's a... No, sorry. It's a metaphor, not it's a not meme. It's not a meme. It's not a meme, it's a metaphor. Oh, right. I was like, I know meme comes first. Okay, what's been happening, Catherine? Um, okay, so, like, the big thing is I've been kind of using the last month and a half, or maybe, like, a month and some change to work on this, like, big presentation. To work on this big presentation... It's called an uh, an annual, and so, like, a lot of different research teams, like, meet up and they talk about their research. And this year, uh, my boss picked me to do a presentation, and it was about coding intensity. And, I don't know, I was really nervous about it, but it turns out I did really good. I am so proud of you and how well you did, because I know you worked so hard on that. Like, you were you were putting in the work, putting in the time, and, like, yeah, I'm so proud of you, girly. I hope you know that. Thank you. Yeah, it was really hard. Also, I would like call Jenny up and be like, I'm sorry, I like worked till 9pm. But but, like, I really want to do a good job. (laughs) Because I'm always getting on her case when she works late. I'm like, this is they don't pay you extra for the extra hours. Like, don't do that. (laughs) But in this case, once I found out it was for your presentation, I like relaxed a little bit because I'm like, if you work on it more, you'll do well. Like I, I fully believe that if you have time, like if you invest time in something, you will do great at it. Yeah, I think so. Um, well, today I did something that's not quite as big, but it was a lot of fun. Um, Virginia Tech has a science festival every year. I think it's every year. I don't know. I've never done it before, but um, this year... I think it's a big deal, Jenny. (laughs) Well, thanks. Um, The Association for Women in Mathematics, which I'm president of the Virginia Tech chapter. So we did a booth or like an exhibit there. It was really fun. It was all like decoding about decoding messages. So like we had messages there for the kids to decode. And I think they enjoyed it. I hope they enjoyed it. I had a lot of fun. Um, Yeah, it was quite enjoyable. Nice. I have a question. Do you like kids? I do. Yeah. I am not always great in, at interacting with kids, but mm. I do quite enjoy them. And I would like to have quite a few of them if possible. Okay. Did I tell you this? But like, I, I think kids are cool or whatever, but I could take them or leave them. But they are obsessed with me. Yes, like, you've told me this. Like, me. kids love you. They think I'm one of them. Yeah, I feel like it's almost the opposite for me, where I feel like I like kids more than kids like me. <laughs> once a kid warms up to me, I feel like once a kid warms up to me, they love me. But if they're yeah. not warmed up to me, they're like, who is she? My aunts and uncles used to love me so much, because like I was the only one who could keep their kids like entertained. 
<laughs> and it was like Man. yeah it was pretty fun um and it made me feel good because like anytime i would leave like these kids would literally sob yes. <laughs> love that like when was the last time anybody sobbed because i was leaving I was gonna say, (laughs) yeah, I was like, I don't quite sob every time I put you back on the train, but, like, I do kind of feel like I'm going to. (laughs) I, like, shed a couple tears. Oh, man. Oh, gosh. Speaking of putting me back on the train, I went to Blacksburg for a weekend. Yes. The weekend that we recorded the podcast with Mei Cuyuto, you were here in Blacksburg. We recorded that in my bedroom. Yeah, it was so fun. It was so fun. Um, Do you want to tell our listeners why it was that you came to Blacksburg that weekend? Um, So we were celebrating Halloween a little earlier. um, And um, me and Jenny and a bunch of our friends decided to watch the Two Towers and dress up as Lord of the Rings characters. So I was Merry and she was Pippin. Yes, and we had great costumes. Um... We had, like, hobbit feet slippers. Mm-hmm. Um, we didn't, I don't think we quite had the hobbit hair down, but everything else is, like, pretty spot on. I was quite proud of how good our costumes were. I know. We were, like, so adorable. We were adorable. There's this video of us, like, pretending to be rocks because there's that scene where Sam and Frodo become rocks. But yeah, they, like, throw their cloaks over themselves and, like, suddenly they're rocks. Um, Yeah. It was a lot of fun. I also, like, The Two Towers is my favorite of the Lord of the Rings movies. And so it was fun to watch it with you all, although you fell asleep. I did fall asleep. Okay, so, like, I don't think I can make it through a Lord of the Rings showing without falling asleep at least once. That's kind of cringe. It is not cringe. It's a long movie. That's true. That's true, because if I try to watch, like, back-to-back movies, I do tend to kind of start to fall asleep during the last one. But it's so exciting. I did wake you up for the battle, though. I was like, you can't miss you this. So dead. And I made this joke where, like, I fell asleep, and when I woke up, I was like, they're still lost. <laughs> oh, man. Um, But, Catherine, that wasn't the reason you came to Blacksburg. Oh, wait, what was the reason? The Broadway, Broadway show. Oh, okay. <laughs> oh man. Um. So this year at the the Moss Arts Center, which is like the performing arts center for Virginia Tech, they brought they're bringing like two Broadway shows. So one of them was in October. Um. And so I got two tickets, and then Catherine came, and we went, and we saw Come From Away, and it was so good. It was, it was incredible. so good like the music and it was like so funny um but i didn't look up the play at all before going to the play and so i did not know that it was about 9 11 but once i figured it out i was like oh no i'm gonna cry yeah i cried several times and it was this really interesting thing of it was like this this juxtaposition of like being absolutely hilarious but then also like so (laughs) sad Oh, and it's like you kind of felt guilty for laughing at the funny parts because, like, the sad parts were so sad. No, I think it's kind of like it's basically the play of that feeling that we always get whenever we say something sad, we laugh. Yeah, I think you're right. Yeah. It's like I remember when I told you about my dead grandmother, I was smiling. (laughs) Like, that's genuinely the saddest thing that's ever happened to me. I know. I feel like uh, anytime I tell you about anything bad, I'm just like grinning. You're like, you left me a voice memo, or maybe it was a call, but you're like, Catherine, you will not guess he he, our church caught on fire. <laughs> it's like awful. And it's like all these years of like, because it's the, the room where we went to school, and it's like all these years of memories lost. Um, and I'm just like, ha ha. So sad. (laughs) This is so bad. Like, I don't know what we're going to do if we ever have to go to a funeral, girly. I think, okay, I can sometimes hold it, I can hold it together at a funeral and look sad when it's just me. But if we're to ever, like, when one of our friends, when our, like, mutual friends die, it's going to be rough. It's going to be rough. I feel like if people close to me, like, I feel like you would go to my siblings' funerals. Oh, yeah. 
Yeah, like if I so like yeah, that would be also be tough. So yeah, I feel like if the two of us are together at a funeral, it'd be really rough. Although I might be devastated enough. No, no, no. You know what? If it's actually really sad, like, like I cry too. That's it's really true. easy for me you to cry. cry. Mm-hmm. I feel like you cry easier than I cry, which does not really fit with who we are as people at all. No, I think it fits exactly how we are as people. Are you kidding? <laughs> okay, it does not fit who I would have thought we were as people a year and a half ago. <laughs> or I feel like if people would meet us, because I think they I think that, be, yeah, that I'm the crier, because I tend to be much more of the type that's like, if you want to cry, like you need to just cry. Yeah. Whereas you tend to be the type that's more like, tough it up. Deal with don't, it. Don't ever let them see you cry. Don't ever let them see you cry. Okay, see, this is the thing, is like, if if you weren't my best friend, you would not know that I I was crying. That's true. Yeah. Yeah. Because like, I feel like, the yeah, the only times you've cried in front of me have been like, in private. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And same, like, I've only cried in front of you in private. Oh, you also went to a game night recently, right? Right. Talk about that. Oh, yeah. I need to talk about this. I went to a game night um, to my friend Naomi's house. And um, Naomi's friend Olivia was there. And she's also kind of my friend now because we hung out, like, two or three times. And I think she's really cool. Um, And uh, we were just talking and... We were talking about her hobbies and stuff, and I mentioned that I had a podcast with my best friend. And then she told me that she listens to all of our episodes. So hi, Olivia. Hi, Olivia. It warms my heart, and I don't know you, but, like, I'm down to be friends. (laughs) Let's all be friends. Yes. Yes. Um, Yeah. And And she is a... Actually, no, I'll cut this out. Okay. I love when, like, we find out that random people listen to the podcast that you don't expect. Like, I expect my mom to listen to every episode. Mm-hmm. Like, I don't expect random friends from school to listen to every episode. So if I find out that, like, someone at random listened to an episode, yeah. I'm like, oh. I also love, like, my siblings sometimes will send me, um... Like, send me things when they're, after they've listened to it. Uh-huh. Like, my brother will respond or he'll be like, oh, I heard you talking about this book, so I tried to get it at the library, but, like, it's all booked up. <gasps> um, Did they talk about Mei Kyuto? I don't think so. I should ask them about it. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. I'm gonna do that. Because <laughs> she's so cute. Oh, I love her so much. May, can we get Boba? <laughs> Can I can't we... remember. I can't remember if we said it. I talked about that already on this iteration of the podcast or not. I honestly have no clue, but please, May, if you are in the DMV area, like, let's get Boba, let's get Jolly, let's get Boba, let's hang out, it's chill or whatever, it's chill. I said May, and we love you. We love you so much. I love you. Um. Okay. What else happened? Um. Oh, I went to a conference. Not this past, like this last weekend. That was a lot of mm-hmm. fun. Um, I was just repping Virginia Tech to a bunch of people, telling them they should go here for grad school, um, specifically grad school in math. I, I can't speak to the other disciplines. Um, but yeah, that was a lot of fun. I think, honestly, my calling might be just like, like, I think this might be the best, the thing I'm best at is just like college recruiting, college recruiting, <laughs> buddy, this is a great place. You should come here. We also need to tell them a little bit about what's going to be happening on not our next episode, but two the episodes next after episode. that. Yeah. So, like, we're going to have an episode on a book, which is um, The Ballad of Laurel Springs by Janet Beard. Yes. And then we're going to do another uh, just, like, book-related but not about a specific book episode. And then... Okay, I'm so excited for this one. So, we're going to be talking Set about... The scene. No, you gotta okay. set. You, oh yeah, yeah, you gotta set the scene. Oh, okay. I'll add even more context. So first okay. of all, um, back when we were talking about doing a philosophy book, so we did Myth of Sisyphus. We had had this idea for our books so that we could do a book that makes Catherine uncomfortable and a book that makes me uncomfortable. And the philosophy book was the one that was designed to make me uncomfortable. But um, I didn't really have any ideas for one that would make Catherine uncomfortable. And then. 
think it was about like a, a week ago, a week and a half ago. We were on Zoom just hanging out and um, we were talking about this podcast, what we wanted to do for it. And the idea of book quotes came up. And I was like, you know, I don't have a lot of book quotes memorized, but I do have quite a few poems memorized. Uh-huh. And I started just like rattling them off to her because I was like, you're my best friend. You have to listen to me. <laughs> I don't, uh, don't pull those out for everybody. Um, and I was like, oh yeah. And they're like basically all Emily Dickinson poems. Um, Mm -hmm. because I quite like Emily Dickinson, especially because she was like my first introduction to poetry. It was a book of Emily Dickinson's poems that my sister Amy had bought and she would read them to me. And I was like, oh, that's so deep. Um, because I was like eight. (laughs) Oh, I was like, this is so good. And so I've, I've always loved Emily Dickinson. And then this, oh my word, this hurt my heart so much. (laughs) Literally that night, Catherine went and bought a book of Emily Dickinson poems because she was like, Jenny loves these so much. I want to, I want to know what's going on. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Um, And the funny thing was, it actually turned out to be the exact same, like, collection of Emily Dickinson poems that I have and like am, and I'm currently reading through. So it was mm-hmm. fun. Yeah, it was really cool. Um I think you recited at least four Emily Dickinson poems and I just kind of sat and listened to them and like I didn't really get it and so I wanted to be interested in things that you were interested in. So I I got, I got the poetry book um and I was going to read through it and then tell you that I got it just because I wanted to be more educated about it. But I was like, there's no way I can get through this whole poetry book without like talking to you about it. I'm glad you did though, because it's been so fun discussing the poems. I know. You were like at the conference and I was like, oh my gosh, Jenny, like we need to talk about this one poem that I have no idea. (laughs) I have no idea what's going on with this one poem. And we like opened our poetry books up and like did a little reading. It's like, you know how um, there's hymnals and it's like, all right, open your hymnal to hymn 461. We'd be like, all right, Catherine, read 219. And then we'd both flip to it and like read it back and forth to each other. Yeah. No, it's so, it's so new to me and it's so interesting. The problem is, is that I read it and I have to reread it and it takes me like 20 minutes to get through one poem because she's like talking about walking her dog and in my mind there's no way that she's just talking about her dog like what does the dog symbolize yeah yeah it's one of those part of the reason I like her her writing so much is because I feel like there's it's easy to understand at a surface level and so it can feel it can feel very accessible like at eight years old I was able to hear a poem about like helping a fainting robin into his nest again and doing that is enough to like not live in vain and i'm like oh i get it like i understand i'm like eight years old right yeah but if you dig into them there's also a lot more meat there a lot more things to uncover and that's what i like so much about and maybe maybe other poets are good about this too but sometimes i get a little bit annoyed with poetry where you read it and you're like i don't get it And it must Mm -hmm. be because I'm just not deep enough. Yeah. But I really like when it's accessible. I feel like hers is very accessible. Anyway, so we're going to talk about it on the podcast later. Yeah, we can't, like, talk about it too much because we don't want to give everything away. Yeah. Probably. Um, But you can look forward to that. I will have hopefully finished the book by then. Yeah, I've read um, through her poems so much that I've accidentally memorized three of them. And they're like three of the ones that I also have memorized. No, yeah. no, no, one of them isn't. One of them is the Alabaster Chamber one, right? That's anyway, a that's a taste Alabaster of what's Chamber. Yeah, that's a good one. I, I'm i going to save that story for next episode. <laughs> good call. <laughs> so I feel like that kind of leads us well into our discussion today. Because um, mm-hmm. like, today is about book quotes. Um, and like I said, most of what I have memorized is poems that led us into that discussion, but let's talk about book quotes. Yeah. 
So I think both of us have amassed a small collection of book quotes that we like. Mm-hmm. Um, so here's my question for you, which is, which is, what types of book quotes do you find appeal to you or are the types that you're likely to write down and remember? I don't know. All I know is <laughs> that I write down what I like. <laughs> <laughs> if I don't like it, I don't write it down. <laughs> yes, sir, indeed. Um, I don't know. Sometimes I write the book quote down because sometimes I write it down because I think it's so true and so meaningful. Sometimes I write it down because it's super funny or like in the context that it's written in, it's so smart. Mm-hmm. Or sometimes it's just a book quote that I think is really, really smart. And sometimes I just feel something when I read it. Yeah. I don't know. I'm not, I don't have a set criteria for writing down book quotes. I do write a lot of them though. Ever since um, I started, um, I started keeping a book journal last year, I've been writing down a bunch of book quotes. Usually, um, well, like in the past, I would always jot them down on my phone or take a picture. Um, but now I'm a little bit more intentional about like writing down quotes that I find meaningful. So when you read a book and you find a quote meaningful, do you immediately write it down in your book journal? Yeah. So I, fun fact about me, I take my book journal practically everywhere. <laughs> um. And I I write it down. Or if I don't have it with me, I take a picture of it and make sure to write it down next time I open my journal. Nice. I honestly should be a lot more intentional about my book journaling. I like kind of fell off of it when I didn't did not take it with me on a on a trip. And I read like five books on this trip. And then it was like I had to play catch up in my book journal. And like it wasn't wasn't good. Um, yeah. You would only really have meaningful things to say about a book if you've just read it yeah i feel like you have to write it like within a day of when you finish the book Mm -hmm. because i remember also trying to write stuff about a book that i read a week ago and it wasn't like any insight that i gained from reading the book was gone yeah it's like after a week you're like oh i liked the book especially the main character was pretty (laughs) appealing to me um, yeah. whereas what, if you read it the day after you're like what was the theme of this book seemed to be motherhood and the role of women in society and I I wonder why the character did this and this yeah yeah at least that's how I'm it not- is for me I was gonna say I think um I think the type of book quotes that tend to appeal to me have changed somewhat um the thing I find that I, I mark the most are things that just feel feel very applicable to, like, situations that I've been in. Um, mm-hmm. Like, I read the book uh, House of Mirth, which is probably the, the book that I've underlined things in the most, and yet, like, I didn't pull any quotes from it because they were all very specific to the situations that they were in and it didn't feel like explaining context. Um, but, like, that one was really... I underlined so much because it was all like, oh, I've like, this thing has happened to me. Um... Or, like, there's a line in Age of Innocence that I, like, underlined and then said to you because it was, like, very exact to, like, an interpersonal relationship that a thing that I had had. I was like, you know what this is about, right? Yeah, but then also, like, sometimes it's just things that sound cool. But, yeah, and sometimes it's just the things that, like, stick with you. Like, you read it and you're like, ooh. Yeah, or, like, sometimes... I write book quotes down because it's so vivid. Like the words are so vivid and it just makes me feel, I don't know how I feel, but I just can see it. Yeah. You know? Yeah. When I was young, um, I would do this thing where it was like, anytime uh, a phrase seemed like even like, was like, oh, that's deep. I would, like, write it down. I had this little thing of, of book quotes, and I would, like, write stuff down in there. Um, but 
it was really like the things I found deep were the the things that were like also quoted on Pinterest. So like my Pinterest board was all about books and I would go through it. And any time I saw a book quote that was from a book I had read, uh-huh. I was like, I would be like, oh, this is an important quote. And I would write that down. <laughs> like I wouldn't even notice it myself. I would just like see that somebody else had noticed it and write it down. Yeah. Um, And then I like did a complete 180 and I was like, book quotes are so stupid. Like why even bother? And I was also super nervous about like writing in my books or underlining uh-huh. my books because in my head I was like they have to be pristine. Uh huh. But now I feel like I'm I'm going back into the other camp again where I'm like I'm annotating, I'm like pulling quotes from a book, mm-hmm. but I'm I think it's all like me, right? It's like I decide what I find important. Yeah. And I don't. I don't. Um, Sometimes I'll read a book and I'll be like, oh, I know I know when Catherine reads this, she's going to like this quote. <laughs> but um, aside from that, it's not like, like when I underline something or when I make note of a quote, it's because like it's meaningful to me, not because I know that it's meaningful to other people. You know what, though? I feel like a good amount of the quotes that I write down are quotes that I tell you about. Oh, yeah. I feel like when you write down a quote, you also tell me about it. <laughs> Yeah. Well, just because, like, I don't know. Okay, here's my question is, do you think you know how to pick good book quotes? You know, I thought I did until I went looking for, like, some of my favorite book quotes to to compile the list we're going to talk about later. Uh And it was a bit of a struggle. I think I do. I think I think I would miss some that other people would like sometimes. Mm -hmm. But I think I can look at something and be like, yeah, that's a good quote. I think you have, like, really good quotes. Thanks. I think you have good quotes, too. Thank you. <laughs> yeah. Have you found that your relationship to book quotes has changed throughout your life as well, or no? Okay, so the type of things that I read when I was a kid, well, like, categorically, they were trash. I read Twilight, <laughs> and I remember reading this book quote, uh, reading this quote in the book. And I thought it was the most romantic thing that I've ever read in my life. But I looked it up a few days ago because we were talking about book quotes. Mm-hmm. And it is gross. <laughs> Wait, what is it? it? It started off like, I looked it up while you were talking, but it starts off with, before you, my life was like a moonless night. <laughs> I just think. Oh my word. <laughs> um... Uh, and so I think at the time in my adolescence, 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 there you go, adolescence, non-native baby, um, in my adolescence, I always went after book quotes that were just sappy mm. and disgusting or um, they were Harry Potter <laughs> And it would be You're Dumbledore's- a wizard, Harry. <laughs> Not that one. You do you know that? Um, oh, the, the thing one that about Dumbledore like said at the very end where yes. he says, "Of course, it's all happening in your head, but why would you think that's not real?" Yes, um, I remember that one because Dylan is in trouble. No, when I first huh. read the Harry Potter books, I was uh-huh. getting like I finally got to that book, and you quoted that to me. Wait, I did. <laughs> That's so embarrassing. You're like, yeah, I really like that line where Harry's like, is this real or is this just in my head? And Dumbledore's like, who says, who's to say that what's in your head isn't real? And I was like, yeah, that's a good line. Good line. (laughs) I exposed myself. I mean, there are like some, I'm like looking through my book journal right now and there are some sappy things, but they're not that sappy. Yeah. Should we get to, um our list of book quotes and start discussing them sure um yeah i would like to say that these aren't my five best these are just the first five that i found okay that i would say good. these are the five yeah the five that i could find i looked for my like notebook of book quotes that i had when i was a kid but i left it at home in oregon so um alas uh, some of these are my favorites though nice. okay um um do you want to go first or shall i I can go first. Okay. We can start with a short one. Yeah, so this first book quote is from this book called The Lost Horizon. 
Um, and it was published in 1933. And it's about this fictional utopia called Shangri-La um, that is supposedly located in the Himalayas. Hmm. Um, and did I say it was written by James Hilton? You did now. <laughs> okay, cool. Um, and the quote is, is there anything incompatible between monasticism and trigonometry? So what is it that you like about that quote? Okay, so like the context is there are these outsiders who visit Shangri-La and this society is like run by monks. And the guy says, okay, this is an incredible place with incredible architecture and these buildings are amazing. Like who built this? And the monk just goes, well, we did. He's like... (laughs) (laughs) and the main character is like what and then the monk says is there anything incompatible between monasticism and trigonometry i like that i like that it kind of speaks to the idea of we tend to have this idea in our heads that you can only really be good at and do one thing and there are things that are incompatible yeah like i think people think it's incompatible to be both good at math and creative or like both yeah math and english or history or something like that and there's also like the the idea that you can't be intellectually rich and also like spiritually rich yes exactly because i feel like i don't know if you don't believe in god you automatically assume that like people who do believe in god are a little stupid yeah yeah so i thought that was a really good quote and once you explain the context a little bit like it's, it's yeah it's especially good it's with a good the context. One. yeah it's an interesting book i recommend anyone would read it but just don't be offended when they uh say degrading things about asian people <laughs> yeah girls well like yeah they would describe like asians as like flat face or um call them uh how do i put this delicately maybe slur? we should not yeah, okay. Yeah, I'm not going to say it. I'm not gonna I was say like, it. you better not say the, say the slur on the podcast. <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> but yeah, it's really good. Just take it for what it is. Okay, so my first quote is, I'll also do a short one for the first one. Yeah. Um. So this is actually from a book we talked about on the podcast, um, The Covenant of Water by Abraham Verghese. And it is that secrecy lives in the same room as loneliness. Why do you like that book quote, Jenny? I like it because, I don't know, I feel like it it distills this truth very well, which is like having a secret and keeping a secret is a very lonely and isolating experience, right? Because like the thing about a secret is that you have, like you have to keep it to yourself. You can't Mm -hmm. share it with anybody. And I think we long to, we long to share the things we hold close to someone. And so to have something that you can't share with somebody else is an extremely lonely experience. I mean, it's mm-hmm. not the same as loneliness. Like loneliness and not and secrecy are not the same thing, but they live in the same room. Because if you you're keeping a secret, that means you're keeping it to yourself. Yeah. And yourself is lonely. And yourself is lonely because it can't share this thing. Do you think it's possible to not be lonely and keep a secret? Um, I think it's hard. I think I think secrecy breeds loneliness. Like, I think you can keep maybe dumb little secrets. Like, Do you uh, think, like, secrets secrets encompass loneliness or loneliness encompasses secrets? Or do you think that there are just some things that they have in common? I don't know that I would say that one encompasses the other. I, I think I would say that secrecy breeds loneliness. Mm, that's pretty good. Yeah. Oh, I have one, but it's not on the discussion guide. But can I just mention this one really quick? Yeah. I read this classic Chinese novel. It was like published in the 17 or 1800s. But they, it was so funny because I would like see them insult each other in like quite creative ways. Oh, I think I remember this one. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) There was this one guy that was mad at another guy. And he goes, you blind son of a clumsy turtle. We were like, we have, I remember when you told me that one, we were like, we have to make this a thing. Yeah. We need to like we need to start calling each other blind sons of clumsy turtles when 
when we get annoyed at each other. I know. And it lasted for maybe two days. I know. It's like, it's too long. It's too long. Too long. Yeah. Blind son of a clumsy turtle. But how how much more creative is that than just saying you son of a B word? It's so much more creative, honestly. Yeah. Anyway. We both have somewhat math related quotes on here. Okay. Should Um, I do that one next then? Yeah, why don't we do the math ones? Okay, so this next quote is um, from this anthology, a collection of essays about mathematics, and the context is this author is, like, describing Galois, who's, like, a pretty famous mathematician. And he goes, Indeed, it is frequently observed that those people who believe that they do have the most to complain of persecution could hardly do without it, and if need be, will provoke it. To pass oneself off for a fool is another way, and not the least savory, of making fools of others. Mm. And so, basically, so why do you like that one? Um, just because that's pretty cool, and also I think I do that a lot. And so Passed it kind of spoke off to as me. A fool? Yeah, I think I would rather dumb myself down than talk intellectually, probably. Yeah, I feel like you're definitely not one to show about how smart you are. I don't. He, yeah, it's just too much work. <laughs> and also, I'm kind of with Galois. It is really fun when people think you're an idiot. <laughs> so sometimes do things that make me look so stupid just because it's really fun you know like you're silly you silly goose you're a silly goose what do you think about the quote um i think it's interesting i i i think the part that sort of sits with me the most is that last line where it's like to pass oneself off for a fool is it is another way and not the least savory of making fools of others i think that like that's the part that sort of hit me the most I was like, oh, yeah, because you don't really think about it. Like, oh, Mm -hmm. maybe I'm being more humble by, you know, letting people see me as a fool. But in reality, it's like when there's people when you're doing that and there's people that that are clearly worse than you, like you're making a fool of them. Yeah, I don't know so much how I feel about the first part. It's those people that those people who believe that they do have the most complaint of persecution could hardly do without it. And if need be, will provoke it. Yeah, well, Galwa was looking for any excuse to justify why he couldn't get into the best, like, math school at the time. And so, you know, he was very much about painting himself as this victim of the system. Um, Yeah. And he loved that he was just beat up on and, like, (laughs) underestimated. Yeah. And he thought he was basically better than everyone else. I don't think that, but uh, he did. Yeah. If you're so much better than everyone else, you shouldn't have died at 19. That's true. You should have been die- You should have died in such a stupid way. Yeah, like who wants to die in a duel over a girl? That's so cringe. It is so cringe. Okay, your turn. Okay, so mine, and I should preface this by saying, I don't necessarily like or agree with this quote. It just, like, really stuck out to me. I was like, that is an interesting take. Um, This is from the book A Mathematician's Apology by G.H. Hardy. And he says, Immortality may be a silly word, but probably a mathematician has the best chance of whatever it may mean. Uh, And so some context here. This is a book written by this mathematician that's, like, all about how great mathematics is. But it's so, it's very pretentious. Like, this guy obviously thinks that math is, like, much better than any other discipline. Specifically, pure math. He goes on, like, a tirade about how applied math is, like, not worth (laughs) doing, I think. Um, Yeah, I I have read some... I have read The Mathematician's Apology, and that guy is too full of himself. And he's, like, everything that I hate about a pure mathematician. No offense, Jenny. Yeah, he's quite full of himself. Um, And he talks about this idea of how we all want to achieve immortality, but in reality, even if we do important things, we will eventually be forgotten. But he has this idea that these mathematical concepts that we can come up with will 
live on even after, like, will live on forever, essentially. Which is this idea that immortality may be silly, but a mathematician has the best chance of of whatever it means. What do you think about that, Catherine? I guess, but who cares? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, you could prove something new, but who cares? Like, you're not immortalized if you live in the mind of, like, one person. (laughs) Just the one person who needs that specific piece of your work for his own work. But my immediate answer is, who cares? Yeah. Like I said, don't know if I really agree with him, but it was such a bold statement that I was like, I'm writing this down. (laughs) Yeah. All right, what's another one of your favorite quotes? I got one. And it's from Interview with a Vampire by Anne Rice. Why are you laughing? Because it's Interview with a Vampire. Okay, for your information, that is classic. Anne Rice is a classic vampire writer. I've literally never heard of her. And also, I don't, I haven't read any vampire books. Well, yeah, it's like, it's a horror book. Anyway. Yeah, the the movie's pretty good. Uh, Brad Pitt is in it. <laughs> Wait, really? Yeah, and so Brad Pitt is in it, and also Kirsten Dunst is in it. And Tom Cruise. What? <laughs> yeah. I did not know this. Here I'm thinking is some, like, random no-name book that your dad was like, oh, you should read this. Did not realize no, no. it was, like, actually a thing. Mm-hmm. That's crazy. Um, yeah, Kirsten Dunst was, like, 12 in it, and she plays the little vampire girl that's, like, 100 years old. Mm. And anyway, Brad Pitt is her love interest, but it's, like, weird, because even though she's 100, she looks 12, and he's also, like, almost the same age as she is. Anyway. Yeah. So, um, this cool. quote is by the vampire girly that is actually old but looks young. And she tells her... He's not really her lover, but, like, someone she loves. She goes, I love you still, and that's the torment of it. He I never loved, but you. The measure of my hatred is that love. Ooh. 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 That's a goodie. It's <laughs> a goodie. What do you like about that one? Well, it's just such a good way to describe a toxic relationship like i cannot tell you the number of times i've heard this story of i hate him so much i hate him i hate him but yet you're still with him and Mm -hmm. you still love him and like i've never heard it said the measure of my hatred is that love Ooh, Ooh. that's so good (laughs) yeah that's good yeah I, i think it does a good job of describing that that relationship where you hate someone so much, but you still love them. Yeah, and, I can. Yeah, quite toxic. Yeah, I can think of other quotes that also kind of allude to that concept. I know you're going to be talking about "Till We Have Faces," but another book quote that I like from "Till We Have Faces" is when um, what's her name? Oh, I do not remember. <laughs> anyway, the main girly, she talks about how she loves her father and she says um a love like that can be nine-tenths hatred and still call it self-love that is good yeah and i feel like that's kind of the same concept is you know how they always say like the opposite of love is is indifference yeah it's not hatred it's indifference yeah yeah i think Love and hatred are so strongly connected because they both involve such strong feelings directed at one person. Like, it's harder to form strong feelings or end strong feelings and turn them into indifference than it is to change your strong feelings from love to hate. I have a question. Okay. And, like, this only goes for people that you personally know because obviously, like, we would hate Hitler or something. But do you think that you can only really hate someone you personally know if you've loved them first? No. No? I don't think so. Because I feel like if you meet someone and right off the bat they wrong you, you're like, hmm, not happening. But you would just be angry. Like, you wouldn't hate them. 
I feel like hate is just like, I hate your guts. I hate everything about you. I hate your life. Like, it's so much more vitriolic than just, I'm mad at you. True. But why would you have to, like, could it not go the other way where you couldn't love someone unless you hated them first? Like, I don't think that's true. No, I think sometimes I think that hatred is spoiled love. Ooh. Put that in a book, girly. Oh, man. But don't you feel that? Yeah. I don't know if that's like the case all the time, but I feel like some of the time hatred is, is born from love. Yeah. On the topic of love, I'll share my next book quote so you can make sure and get through all of these. This, you alluded to it. It's from Till We Have Faces by C.S. Lewis, which we almost talked about on the podcast one time. And then, um, we failed up (laughs) and it's. I was wrong to weep and beg and try to force you by your love. Love is not a thing to be used. And part to of the be reason so used. To be... Oh, I missed the word so when I was writing this down, apparently. apparently yeah, I remember that because I was going to put that in. <laughs> so yeah, apparently it's love is not a thing to be so used. And so for part of the context in this book, there were there were a lot of things happening where one person was forcing another person to do something because of this relationship of love. So for example, um, one sister thought her other sister was crazy to like be staying with this man she couldn't see in this like castle she couldn't see. Um, And the original sister basically said like, if you love me, you're going to do this thing that ended up ruining, Mm -hmm. ruining her life. Um, or the the way that this quote was used is that the the woman had this servant um, who had, like, I don't know, served his time and she was letting him go. I don't quite remember. And he was basically like, if you love me, you will let me go let and me go. live my own life. Yeah. Um, and, like, if you love me, you will do this thing. And she was, she was like, okay, whatever. Well, I mean, it wasn't okay, whatever, but basically eventually told him, like, yeah, that's fine, whatever. Um, And then he comes back and says, I was wrong to weep and beg and try to force you by your love. Love is not a thing to be so used. Which I think this goes to the toxic relationships again. Because I think sometimes in toxic relationships, people will do this thing of like, if you love me, you will do this thing for me. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's like also a common like, just thing you do with your friends and family yeah yeah and love is not a thing and beg and yeah and love is not a thing to be so used no you that's true (laughs) all right what's your next quote oh man i kind of want to deviate from this one okay if that's all right that's fine yeah yeah i got one And it's from, oh, no, it's called, um, it's actually a play, or it's a screenplay called The Golden Child by David Henry Huang. And you gave this to me. Yes, I was going to say, I gave that one to you for Christmas. Yeah, and it's, I love my Asian authors, but (laughs) it's set in China. And... Um, back in the day, they had multiple wives. And so the first wife gives this advice to the third wife. And she says, it is the simplest thing to manipulate a man. Just call him your master and he will be your slave for life. And like, I don't live by these words, obviously. But (laughs) that is so incredible. And it doesn't have to be like, just for men. I feel like if you call someone your master, like they will love you so much that, like, they, they'll they be yeah. your son for life. Yeah. It's like this idea that if you play to someone's ego, you'll have them eating out of the palm of your hand. Yes. Yes. Oh, and I was one. like, man, that is so good. And she has all these, like, girl boss quotes um, that I kind of want to share. Like, we don't have to talk about them, but I just love them. <laughs> or, like, they're kind of... I don't know. Like, there's this one that says, it's not really a girl boss quote, you know, but (laughs) I thought it was interesting. If you can't live with dishonesty, you have no business calling yourself a woman. Oh. (laughs) 
man. Yeah. Or, um, you know what? This actually explains a lot about how Asian people talk to each other. And the way Asian people talk to each other is they always, like, put themselves down and bring other people up. Like, oh, I'm so stupid, but you're so smart kind of thing. Mm. And it's very passive aggressive. Like, oh, this, the food I made wasn't that good. Like, your food is the best. And it's like this contest of, like, who is more humble. And they go and say, humility is power. Ooh. Ooh. very interesting. (laughs) Oh, man. Why is it interesting, Jenny? It's interesting because you think of humility as being the sort of thing where you give up power. But yeah. in reality, sometimes in giving up that power, you're um, like making more power more accessible. It's like how in the parable um, that Jesus tells, there's the guy who sits at the at the end of the table that's like, it's, he says that it's better to sit at the end of the table and get elevated than it is to sit at the head of the table and get mm-hmm. demoted, right? So some, yeah. so being humble is putting yourself down to be able to get lifted up in a way. I mean, that's not mm-hmm. exactly what humility is. Um, I think there's more to humility than that. But Yeah, uh, but this is in the case yeah. where you use humility as a tool. As a tool and a weapon. And a weapon. Yeah. And it's so interesting because, like, usually humility is not what you would call a weapon. Yeah. All right, girly. We've got more quotes to get through. Okay. Okay. All right. So one of my favorites, and I'll be honest, I had actually forgotten about this one completely. (laughs) Um, And I was looking through old pictures to try and find... um, like find different book quotes that I could use and I found this one and I was like this is so good so it's from the book All the Wrong Questions by Lemony Snicket Mm -hmm. and he says we were more like jigsaw puzzle I'm gonna start this over I messed it up (laughs) he (laughs) says we were more like jigsaw pieces each of us parts of the same big picture there are people like this wherever you go they are part of the same mystery as you are but you can't quite tell how you fit together the world is a puzzle, and we cannot solve it alone. That's awesome. I love that one so much. And I remember when I read it, it was just like a, a punch in the face. <laughs> <laughs> what do you find really interesting about it? I think what I find so intriguing is that sometimes like, I meet people, and I have people around me. And I, I get this, this sense that like we're part of the same picture, but I just don't quite know how we fit together yet. Like, you and I, I know we fit together. I know where the puzzle pieces that are right next to each other interlocked. Mm-hmm. But there are so many people in my life that I'm like, we're part of the same puzzle. We exist in the same community. We're contributing to the same world. And, like, maybe we interact a little bit. Like, we're all yeah. definitely, like, we're definitely part of the same picture. Mm-hmm. But I just don't quite know how it fits together yet. Yeah. Yeah. That's good. I quite I really like, like it. That one. So that was one, I think I, I found that in like 2020, maybe. So it's been a while. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, that's really good. Should I go next? Sure. Okay. Um, let me see. And for the listeners, we're just going to do one more each. <laughs> okay. So this is from um the book Alexander the Great by... I don't know how to say this. Nikos Kazenjakis? I don't know. I don't know. It's a conversation that Alexander the Great had with his friend, but this is like a fictional historical retelling of Alexander the Great. Um, His friend says to Alexander, contentment is to be found in the serenity of the ancestral home. Did you know that? And Alexander answers, maybe, but contentment isn't a man's highest good. So interesting. Ooh. What is it that you like about that quote? Because I think this... I think this conversation exchange is what goes through every young person's mind. Like, at some point in their life. Hmm. It's like, do I play it safe or do I pursue my highest good? Yeah. Wait, so what do you think is man's highest good? 
Or a man's highest good. I don't know. I'm a child of God, so I'm going to have to say raising the next generation <laughs> and spreading the word. What can I say? Yeah. And living like Jesus. <laughs> <laughs> okay, let's reframe that question. Okay. What do you think Alexander the Great's highest good was? I think um, Alexander's highest good was to become Conquest. king of the world. Yeah. Conquest. Interesting. He made it all the way to India and beyond. And he just, he collected his army and just kept on going. And the reason why his army broke apart was because they were tired. They were like, we don't want to go anymore. And he's like, what? (laughs) But there's still so much to do. He wanted to be king of the world. Okay, do you think that man's highest good is the same as what he sees his purpose as? No, because I don't think man correct, like man doesn't correctly identify his purpose Mm. most of the time. Do you think you've correctly identified your purpose? Girl, no, I don't know. (laughs) Pray for me. (laughs) I was in the office the other day and um, there's this kid named Sahil and I get a big kick out of asking, just like out of the blue asking him, uh, like, some slightly unhinged questions. Just like the questions you don't expect out of people. Uh-huh. And so I was sitting there and just like, So Hugh, what do you think is your purpose in life? Yeah. And he was like, huh? <laughs> um, and then he was like, I don't like, think you think? can answer that question. I don't think I can answer that question. Here's what I said as my answer, and that is to do my best. Well, that's like a general purpose in life. Like everyone can claim that as their purpose. Yeah. Yeah. But I think that's the best I can do. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I'm going to I'm going to do my last quote now. Okay. So this is like my number one favorite book quote if someone asks me. It's like one of the few that I have memorized and it's one that I feel like I might have actually mentioned on this podcast before. Um, but this is from the book Mathematics for Human Flourishing by Francis Sue. And he says If you go through life pretending you understand, you will always be a slave to the things you don't understand. And the reason that I like this one so much is that I am definitely the type of person where I am embarrassed by not understanding things. And I would much rather just like sit and listen to something I don't understand and not ask any questions about it and never learn about it than speak up and look dumb and be like, wait, what are you talking about? This happens to me in classes where, like, the teacher will be talking, I'll be taking my notes, and I have no clue what's going on. I don't understand. Um, but I'm just, like, I don't want to to look like I don't understand. So I just sort of pretend. Like, I do this in office hours, too, where, like, I ask a question, um, and the poor, like, the great professor, he's answering it, explaining things, like, do you, do you understand? And I'm like, mm, mm-hmm, yeah. <laughs> no clue what's going on. <laughs> um, and so that's, like, this one really hit me, where it's like, oh, yeah. Like, if I, if I keep pretending I understand these things, like, I'm gonna have to keep up that facade. I'm always gonna be a slave to that. Like, if yeah. I only pretend I understand, I'll never truly have that understanding. That'll always hold me back. Yeah. Yeah. That's that's really good. It kind of reminds me of this other quote from, um, it's a movie, though. <laughs> Sorry, I'm it? dumbing it down. But it's from this movie called Flipped. And this grandpa, like, tells his gra- grandson that, like, sometimes a little discomfort in the beginning can save a whole lot of pain down the road. Mm, yeah and it's like just grit your teeth and say that you don't know something then like have it bite you like yeah. a week from the <laughs> a week from now you know yeah sometimes i don't like having things explained to me because i'm convinced that i can figure out figure it out on my own <laughs> <laughs> or like i just don't want to talk to someone for longer than necessary and i'm just like yep i get it i'm gonna go <laughs> Yeah, I feel like it's not that way for me. 
if I understand something already and someone's trying to explain it to me, I'm like, can we hurry this thing up? Like, I get it. <laughs> All right, let's wrap this thing up. Okay, great book quotes. Why is this the longest episode that we've had? It's because the first, like, 20 minutes are just terrible. Nonsense. Yeah, and we spent a lot of time on our book quotes at the end. That's true. Yeah. Anyway. Anyway. This has been Idiot's Alphabet Soup. Baboosh. Baboosh.